African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here. This is African Dialogue. You're with me, Benjamin Mushatama, right here on Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Remember, we're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Thank you for joining us on our one-hour program where we look at the big subject matters on the continent. Today, we'll be commemorating our World Refugee Day. We know that the face of the refugee usually looks like uh, very much uh, an African and uh, there's no way that uh, we can actually exclude this day or actually minimize uh, the importance of this day. We know that war, violence and persecution worldwide are causing more people than ever to be forcibly displaced. This is according to a report published uh, by the UNHCR very recently. Uh, Today was actually officially released and uh, we know that the uh, UN uh, Refugee Agency has released what they call the New Global Trends Report, which is the organization's major annual survey of the state of displacement and it says that at the end of 2016 there were uh, listen to this number 65.6 million people forcibly displaced worldwide some 300,000 more than a year earlier wow that is uh, an increasing number that you're seeing now this total represents an enormous number of people needing protection worldwide this adds up to immense human cost of war and persecution globally Uh, The 65.6 million means that on average, one in every 113 people worldwide is today someone who is displaced. Wow, these figures are very much alarming. Now, a population... This is the population, when you look at it, this 113 people worldwide, it's actually a population bigger than the world's 21st most populous countries, which include the likes of the United Kingdom. Now, before we continue with the business of the day and speak to our experts on the line, let's listen to a report by BBC's Geneva correspondent, Imogen Fulquez, who is speaking to the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, Filippo Grandi. We're close to 66 million refugees and displaced. It means that conflicts continue to take a toll on civilians. And what is very interesting is that uh, in 2016, almost 7 million people returned to their homes, often in fragile situations, but they went back. And yet, 10 million people were freshly displaced, either for the first time or sometimes for the second or third time. This is evidence of the um, harshness of conflict and of the price that is paid by civilians in these wars that never get resolved. In your report, you say we have to do better. What do you mean by that? First and foremost, and I say it ad nauseum, I repeat it all the time, we need to restore our capacity to resolve conflicts. The world has become unable to make peace. So we see old conflicts like in Afghanistan or Somalia protracted forever and keeping people in exile for a very extended period of time, decades sometimes, 
and we see new conflicts erupting and some of these new conflicts in fact are resumption of old ones like in South Sudan or in Burundi for example and uh, people flee again and frankly people who escape for the second or third time will think many many more times before going back home again. You are also facing what looks like waning political acceptance and support for refugees in, in Western countries, in Europe and the United States. Definitely. Insufficient uh, support to the countries and communities that host the largest number of refugees. Let's not forget that of those 65, 66 million, 84% are in poor or middle-income countries. So insufficient support to those situations has meant, and we've seen it dramatically with the Syria situation, what we call secondary movements, people moving on in search of better protection, better opportunities. And this moving on, especially to industrialized countries in unprecedented numbers, has created a backlash in terms of acceptance, which has been skillfully manipulated, as we all know, by unscrupulous politicians. This is unfortunately very negative in so many ways, because it's a reduction of protection space, but also because how am I to ask countries with less resources, like Kenya, like Pakistan, countries that host the majority of refugees, how am I to ask them to take more, to accept people coming when richer countries are giving the opposite example? Well, that is uh, the voice there of the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, Filippo Grandi, who is speaking to BBC's Geneva correspondent, Imogen Fouquet, there giving us uh, uh, the real issues of what's happening there, very concerning issues that are highlighted there. Seems to be more of a polarised environment in terms of views of refugees. And the question that we're asking for, I'm sure it's going to irritate some of our um, guests on the line, but uh, it's a question question that we're asking because this is a conversation that's been taking place internationally and the question that we're asking is a deliberate one it's saying that in a world affected by more cases of terrorism worldwide should the rights of refugees be changed or altered give us your thoughts at channel africa one or at african dialogue at channel africa one or at african dialogue we want to hear your thoughts there now let me come to our guests on the line we've got roshan dadu who is the director of the consortium for refugees and migrants in south africa also on the line we've got uh, a james Chapman, who's a senior refugee attorney at the Refugee Rights Clinic at the University of Cape Town. Also, to help us really unpack issues of terrorism and what should be happening in the context of the refugees, Jasmine Opperman, who is the Africa Director of the Terrorism Research and Analysis Consortium. I know we're going to have Jasmine for a, a brief time. I know that she's at a conference currently. But hey, let me start the conversation uh, with you, uh, Roshan. The figures are are alarming. I was highlighting them when we started the program. 65.6 million people forcibly displaced worldwide. That's the latest uh, uh, from the UNHCR report. Uh, and those statistics are only uh, ending of 2016. When you look at the average, every 113 people worldwide today is someone who is displaced. Heavenly, heavily uh, alarming figures there, Roshan. Hi, good morning, and thanks for inviting us onto the show. 
I mean, yes, when you look at the figures globally, it is alarming. But as the High Commissioner said, it's 84% of those displaced people are actually in developing countries. Mm. And I think it's in developing countries that have firstly been the most hospitable, not just in our continent, if you look, including South Africa at uh, Uganda, for instance, but also neighbor countries to Syria that are in fact housing most of the displaced people because we do feel that we do have an obligation under our, our commitment to the UN Convention and in our case the OAU Convention to host people who are forcibly displaced and I think that's the correct position and we should look at how we can best do that. Mm. Uh, Roshan, in terms of the growing numbers, it is very much a worry because uh, uh, when you look at this figure, it's 300,000 more than a year earlier. Clearly, we're not doing very well in the international community to deal with the conflict areas, also to deal with the fact that, uh, uh, you know, the management of uh, uh, these various uh, uh, conflicts on the world. And uh, it seems like the situation is not getting any better at this moment. Well, yes. I mean, I think we can see the way in which countries, particularly Western countries, are taking a very bellicose attitude um, within uh, their international policy. Mm. And, of course, that's only going to create further wars, conflict, and displaced people. And I think we do have to also remember when we look at these big numbers that every individual person is a person who deserves the right to live in safety to basic needs and to have uh, possibilities for a better life, as do we all, whether we're in our own country or in another country. And we also mustn't forget that people that come into countries also bring a lot. People bring all sorts of skills and knowledge, economic opportunities with them. So I think, you know, once we look at the big numbers, we also have to focus on the, the individuals concerned and the fact that it's not necessarily a burden that countries need to shoulder, although mm. I agree with you that if the world keeps going in the way it is, particularly the Western government um, ratcheting up conflicts and looking for new ones, that's something we really all need mm. to speak out again. Mm, James, let me bring you into the conversation in terms of uh, uh, the situation that we find ourselves uh, today. I know World Refugee Day is that day where we all talk about refugees, but it seems like uh, we're not really hearing the cry of the refugee, and the refugee seems to be at a point right now more than ever before where their rights are being contested with, especially amongst the conversations of terrorism and also uh, the policy shifts that we're seeing from the the likes of Donald Trump, and also we've seen also a pushback from from the UK. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, look, this is this is the, the, the huge problem that I mean, uh, as as we heard in that uh, the conversation from the, the the High Commissioner, sort of you have these unscrupulous sort of politicians who mm. are uh, they they're just sort of starting this uh, uh, sort of. Uh, venom and kind of uh, discriminatory uh, language, uh, sort of uh, trying to close their borders, build walls, etc. And it's it's not helping uh, the situation at all. Um, Unfortunately, uh, the the reality is that that, uh, the refugee, uh, people fleeing fleeing from conflict in the refugee situation is, is a 
future of the modern world, and it's something that is here and something that mm. is, is to stay. I, I, I certainly think that there, there, there's a need to look at the the benefit and the and not not see sort of refugees as a burden. I mean, if we think about the likes of MIA or Wycliffe Jean or Albert Einstein or even uh, Oliver Tambo was in exile. All of these are are, are you know well-known uh, refugees, you know, um, who who made. Uh, huge contribution, you know, and, and especially on a day like this, World Refugee Day, we should be looking at the perseverance, the initiative, the ingenuity, and the contribution of refugees, mm. and how we can work well together as receiving populations, rather than uh, uh, starting at, at something that is not even, you know, really supported statistically, you know, this, uh, this, this uh, fear politics, um, blaming uh, foreign nationals and, and refugees. As, as potential terrorists, where there's, mm. no, there's no evidence to kind of support that, mm. that position. Let, let me ask that question to Jasmine, because Jasmine works a lot in terms of this field, in terms of terrorism research. Jasmine, let me bring you that. It's becoming commonplace currently that terrorism is a significant uh, player and uses the refugee crisis as a way of painting refugees as a breed of terrorists. How true is this uh, uh, paintbrush that that has been very much of an ongoing narrative, especially in the last year or so. Uh, it's been one that's been very prevalent, especially with what's happening in Europe and the response from Western countries. Uh, good morning, and thank you for the invitation. There are two dynamics to this issue that I think that needs to be emphasized. Uh, research done by TRAC so far has listed 34 speculative um, very unverified accusations of individuals that has been been making use of refugees coming into states to hide their presence. Out of those, only fourteen or fifteen, I'm, and I'm not, I could be wrong there, but fourteen or fifteen have been confirmed. Now, I'm not saying those are all the cases, but I think the numbers speak for themselves that in using a broad paintbrush, in condemning refugees as one group in which they could be extremists, is nothing more than naive and actually tragic, because it remains isolated cases. Secondly, and I think this is the important issue, the facts are on the table, but how does it drive perceptions? And this is the where we are seeing a concerning trend in a rise of right-wing related support and activities and hate crimes taking place. And the whole issue of refugees plays into the mindset of those individuals, which I think is also totally unfair towards these refugees that are fleeing from violent areas, ironically, to escape the vehement vigor of the extremist groups and seeking justice for economic and individual survival where else. Sadly, though, it seems like this perception is now driving more and more policies towards refugees. We've seen Hungary recently now rethinking more stringent policies. We've seen Australia. We've seen the United States doing the same thing based on mere perception. This Creates, and this is all based on the illusion mm. that Western democratic states reflect a unified system, a unified nation, which is not the case. There needs to be a serious rethink 
in terms of how Western states and their identities are being defined in the context of the world today, and to use terrorism as an excuse for stringent measures cannot be factually substantiated or justified. Hmm. Jasmine, I'm going to come back to you because I'm sure there are consequences for those types of actions. But moving to you, Roshan, very concerning um, uh, issues that are coming out from uh, uh, Jasmine. They're highlighting the fact that there has been uh, an enforcement of stringent policies allowing refugees in in certain uh, countries. What does that do for the plight of the refugee? Well, yes, I mean, obviously it doesn't help the situation at all and we're very concerned here in South Africa that there's draft legislation which is going to further limit the rights of particularly asylum seekers. The government's looking at putting up uh, what they call border processing centres on the certain South African mm-hmm. land borders mm-hmm. where asylum seekers must stay um, until they are determined if they are a refugee or not, which is basically immigration detention, something that Jasna mentioned is happening in Australia, where people have the right to seek asylum, are then detained, arrested, and kept in a in a pension facility for doing nothing wrong. I mean, this is not helping the situation at all. And if countries think that these kinds of measures, securitizing borders and so on, is going to deter people, then they're clearly mistaken as, as people have said, you know, the people are not going to stay in situations where they can't survive, where they're fearing for their lives. People are going to move. It's a normal uh, response to to survive. And we have to find ways to enable people to move safely, to arrive safely, and to be treated with, with human dignity. And also, there is a contestation in, in in that regard. With you saying that that you know there is a, a problem whereby you could be actually James altering certain rights w- w- within the frameworks of uh, uh, the, the refugee and and what actually rights they have within uh, their own reach. Well, yes, I mean it's contrary to our international obligations. Mm. And in fact, in South Africa, our Refugee Act, which is a very good one as it stands with an urban refugee policy, it's looking to make amendments to that and change the legislation to make it more and more difficult, including what we consider to be detention on our borders, which internationally is is becoming an issue of concern where people are complaining and saying, no, you can't Mm. treat people like this. Mm. James, your thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean, the, the, the refugees and uh, asylum seekers have a series of, of, of rights. They have the right not to be returned to their, their uh, country, but they, when, they, when they're within the host country, they have the uh, right to work, the right to study, freedom of movement, there's a constitutional right, dignity, right to life, uh, uh, safety of, of uh, person, and these uh, kind of introduction of measures are, are curtailing and compromising the the rights of, 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 of these individuals. Um, and as, as, as Roshan mentioned, we have sort of a very sort of a progressive uh, good uh, uh, legislature with respect to refugees. The Refugees Act is, is, is wonderful. Um, but unfortunately, the, the, the steps are kind of in the wrong direction, curtailing and restricting um, the rights of refugees and asylum seekers, which, as I said before, uh, you should rather look at the, the, the fact that they're contributing and how we can work together and, and uh, 
uh, encourage integration rather than taking a, a position of um, yeah, restricting and removing rights from already sort of the vulnerable individuals who've, who've fled such awful circumstances, either because of a well-founded fear of persecution or because of a war-torn situation. Um, but that's not what's happening in, in practice. In fact, uh, rights are the right to freedom of movement, for example, by the closure of offices is, is being restricted. Um, let's say moving in the wrong direction. Mm, that is the voice of James Chapman joining us on this uh, World Refugee Day. He's from the uh, University of Cape Town. Uh, he's a senior refugee attorney at the Refugee Rights Clinic. We also joined on the line by Roshan Dadu, who is the director uh, of uh, uh, the Consortium for Refugees and Migrants in South Africa. It's great to be speaking to Roshan again. Haven't spoken to him in a while. Uh, we're speaking to Jasmine Opperman, who's joining us, uh, who is the Africa Director of the Terrorism Research and Analysis. Analysis uh, Consortium. We're asking the question on our Twitter handle at Channel Africa One, or uh, you can go to at African Dialogue. We're asking: In a world affected by more cases of terrorism, should the rights of refugees be changed? Want to hear your thoughts on that one? Uh, we're asking that question deliberately because that's a conversation that's taking place internationally. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu, hivi sasa, najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre de soleil. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika, mu África! Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. That's what we're doing, giving you the African perspective. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. You with me, Benjamin Mushatam. I'll be with you midday Central African time. Remember, we're also on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. That's our shortwave, uh, content, shortwave service into the continent uh, to our friends uh, in Sub-Saharan Africa. You can also listen to us uh, on uh, DSTV on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet that is in South Africa. Africa and in neighboring countries in South Africa. Today we're looking at World Refugee Day and we're speaking to experts uh, to unpack uh, this. Uh, Jasmine, coming back to you, uh, concerning uh, areas that you are highlighting was the fact that there is a pushback uh, from Western countries in terms of restrictions of refugees within uh, those uh, countries. In terms of you know the trends of uh, how uh, uh, these various uh, uh, terrorist groups work, does that actually play into their hands? It definitely does. We must remember as far back as 2015 the Islamic State has made reference to grey zones. Now with grey zones, what they were referring and what they are referring to is simply this that the more hate crimes take place, the more it plays into their ideology. 
the more it plays into the probability of gaining a, an expanding footprint and support. Let's look at Sunday night incident in London at the Finsbury Park Mosque. The responses from the Islamic State fanboys were immediate. The message to the Muslims in Western states, do not rely on other communities or these governments to protect you. They will not, they do not have sympathy and they will never have sympathy. You do not, and you should actually not even be living in Western democracies. So, hate crime against communities, perceptions against specific communities, whatever informs them, ironically, drives and adds fuel to the fire of propaganda, and thereby exposing that, that probability, and it will always be fringe elements, that is, extremism is, that's the way they've always worked. But you do not want a situation where you are opening doors. You want to close doors to these groups. And remember, the situation in the Middle East is changing. The caliphate is imploding. By that, extremist groups will seek footprints and expanding footprints beyond the Middle East. And it's the manner in which governments are going to treat refugees, how they are going to be sensitive, in handling the situation that will determine how extremist groups will be allowed oh, uh. to exploit the situation. And this is what is a concern now, is that we are seeing such a clampdown that it actually allows, and I like the word being used by a previous speaker, the securitization, the mm. over-securitization of groups of people that do not deserve that condemnation. Mm. And that over-securization that you're highlighting there, uh, Jasmine, I want to m- move that to you, James. How does that actually isolate uh, uh, the refugee community? Well, I mean, the, 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 the result is that, you know, you, the, the, the community is further, further it's, it's like a further persecution of the community that already fled from mm. persecution. Mm. So mm. the, uh, the uh, extreme securitization means that a number of people are prohibited from entering a country's borders. They're placed, as, as Roshan mentioned, in uh, detention centers, which is proposed in the South African context. Um, and what needs to be done is uh, uh, there needs to be something more open because otherwise the refugee community will respond by doing the only thing that they can do to keep themselves safe and secure, which means maybe using a non-port of entry, using other sort of mechanisms. Because if you're fleeing, uh, you know, from from violence, you're fleeing from war, yeah. you have no choice. You know, you will use whatever mechanisms. So uh, similarly, you know, within within uh, countries where there isn't protection being offered, then people will go into hiding because being in hiding in a country is safer than being in a place where you're subject to persecution um, and that your life is in danger. So um, a refugee community's response, I mean, I think a refugee community's uh, response is the same as any person's response. And this is, this is one of the things that's kind of uh, lost is that refugees are people. That's lost on a lot of uh, the sort of political uh, rhetoric uh, trying, to, trying to keep uh, people out of countries. Is that you have... Um, these individuals who who have human dignity, who are trying to find the best for their lives, and if the system doesn't allow it, the securitization and the limiting and restriction and keeping people out, then they they will only do what is rational and reasonable to 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 to, to exist to survive. 
um, to provide for themselves and their families. And so, as I say, often it, it ends up people uh, becoming part of uh, the, the, the hidden uh, uh, population uh, um, because that's the only choice. Roshan, your thoughts? Well, yes. I mean, I think, you know, to re- reiterate what Jasmine and James have said and also just to make it clear that the majority of terrorist acts are committed by citizens of that country. As we look, as Jasmine mentioned, at the, in, the terrorist incident outside the Finsbury Park Mosque in London, it was apparently a white English extremist, right-wing extremist, driven by Islamophobia that plowed his van into people coming out of prayers. Uh, this is also an act of terror, and this is committed by a citizen of, of Britain. So I think it's really a myth in a way that, as has been said, countries to try to restrict people coming in, refugees coming into the country wrongly, using those kinds of arguments and whipping up fear and hatred, which then again serves the purpose of other extremists who want to see um, communities at, at war with each other. So the best solution is for countries to allow people to come into the country safely and securely through their proper borders, to document people, to give people the opportunity to access the rights that they are due under the law of domestically and internationally, and to try to create diverse and integrated communities within the country. I think that's the world we live in. We're not going to ever live in a world where everyone is um, stuck in one homogenous community with the numbers of people moving for various reasons. And so we need to look at the positive side of that and what that can actually add to our lives wherever we are, whether we're living in our country of origin or in another country. Mm. Well, I'm going to take another quick break. Uh, Very, very important points coming there from our guests. Remember, you can interact with us on our Twitter handle at Channel Africa One or at African Dialogue. We're asking the question, a world affected by more cases of terrorism, should these rights of refugees be altered? Do you think that there's a case there? Uh, That's the question we're asking on our program today. have great guests on the line. But when we come back, I'm going to introduce Marku Aikumus, who is also joining us from the uh, UN Refugee Agencies. He is the regional representation for Southern Africa. We'll ask more about that new report, Global Trends Report, that unpacks some new dynamics uh, and new figures of uh, the refugee crisis worldwide. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspectives. Yes, you can download us on Google Play. We've got a, a Channel Africa app there where you can listen to us on your mobile phone or listen to us online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Let me bring in Marco Aikomus who's with us right now uh, just to give us some of his thoughts and just to look a little bit at the new Global Trends Report. Marco, thank you for giving us your time. Uh, 
Thank you very much for having me today. Now, tell us a little bit about just the latest of this report. What is standing out for you? I know the figure is uh, the fact that 300,000 more uh, than a year earlier uh, cases of uh, displaced people uh, leading to the amount of uh, uh, totaling the amount to 65.6 million people being uh, forcibly displaced worldwide. Just give us some of the dynamics and interesting things that stand out, especially for uh, the subset. Uh, uh, continent. Yes, the, um, when we look at the findings of the uh, uh, cl- uh, global uh, asylum trends report that was published yesterday, it shows uh, um, unprecedented and staggering um, increase in global force displacement um, as well as uh, the human suffering around the world. The 65.6 million uh, people have been forced to flee their homes uh, and some of them their countries uh, because the war, conflict and persecution happening around the world. Um, there's a one person of each 113 uh, worldwide mm. is being forced to flee. So this is the quite uh, dramatic uh, uh, situation development mm. in, in globally. Mm. Marco, what is the uh, real causes of this particular increase? There is a, last year there were 10, over 10 million newly displaced, both uh, refugees who have been forced to uh, flee their countries and then um, IDPs, internally displaced persons who are still remaining within the, the borders of their, of their countries. One-third was refugees and two-thirds are uh, ID, IDPs. Um, the reason for this is the, uh, the conflict, violence and persecutions and war happening in different parts of the world and, and forcing people, families to, to flee their homes. Mm, worrying issues there. Now, I know that, uh, Marku, underway uh, uh, today is uh, a big event taking place in Uganda where the UN Secretary General Antiono Guterres and other high-level international guests uh, will be uh, welcoming um, uh, delegation uh, and donors uh, for the Refugee Solidarity Conference. How important is this particular conference I, I think it's extremely important because um, what, as an as international community, we have to continue providing protection to refugees, but also increasing, uh, increasingly understanding that we need to support those communities which are hosting the, the refugees and displaced persons and shouldering often the, the, the burden um, uh, there. So it's important that the, um, uh, we provide support uh, not only to, to refugees but also to those communities which are opening their, um, their doors and, 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 and providing generously uh, hosting the, uh, the refugees from the world. Mm. Roshan, we're speaking there about uh, the Refugee Solidarity Conference with Marku. Uh, your thoughts, uh, Roshan, in terms of uh, what key areas should be addressed uh, uh, with the uh, pushback, the resistance we're seeing internationally, and also these growing numbers that we're seeing uh, from this latest report. More action definitely is required, Roshan. 
Yes, well, I think um, countries need to be encouraged to, to take refugees, to be um, castigated for trying to stop people coming. If you look at the people who are drowning in boats in the Mediterranean, and that is continuing, and the rescue missions that have been funded by the EU no longer being funded, of course we need to put money where it's needed. Um, so that journeys can be made safely, so that people can be um, given adequate uh, uh, needs, to have their needs met when they arrive in countries. But I also think government should be um, made to be accountable for, for the way that they themselves are, are closing borders, are um, not adhering to the UN Convention, and that's something that the UNHCR is in a position to do particularly this year when governments are negotiating the Global Compact on Refugees to make sure that the commitments in there are clear and, and based on the rights and the um, agency of refugees because it's people we're talking about and keeping people in camps has been shown by the UNHCR to not be ideal, letting people just uh, rot away somewhere kept in a camp for years and years and years as it's been said conflicts are often much more protracted than they they are uh, acknowledged to be. And people, refugees, are, are able to work to contribute to the economies of countries, allow people to, and help people to find their way to make their own lives when they arrive in countries. Mm. Um, urban refugee policies is another thing the UNHCR should be pushing governments on and trying to get those financial commitments that will assist governments to allow that to happen so you can create vibrant, integrated communities around the world. Mm, Jasmine, there has to be also a balancing act in terms of uh, uh, dealing with uh, issues of uh, terrorism and also how do you actually create policies that are good in terms of ensuring that there is security within countries but also creating that space for uh, the advancement of refugee rights. Jasmine, are you there? I think we've lost Jasmine there, but I'll bring that to you, uh, James, if, if you're still there with me. Uh, that balancing act, what still needs to be done and discussed in that regards at the Refugee Solidarity Conference? Well, as, as, as we mentioned before, um, there needs to be a, a, a push towards uh, endorsing and embracing the rights of refugees, but also an exposure of the the... Uh, falsity of and the conflation of uh, matters concerning refugees and people fleeing persecution mm. uh, with terrorism, because you know it's that it's that conflation that that sort of um, unscrupulous uh, polit- uh, politicians and pol- politicking that that is actually really damaging. Um, the other thing that is actually not not been brought to the fore is that. Uh, while it's really important to encourage countries to receive uh, refugee uh, populations, it's also really important that we need to focus on areas of conflict and encourage uh, uh, and have uh, peace talks and, uh, you know, in some instances regime change and ensure that that uh, there is sort of uh, fundamental, durable peace and stabilities in countries of, uh, that are currently in conflict because the, the, the more conflict situations, the more vi- ongoing violence, the, 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 the greater the um, prevalence of, of, of people fleeing their countries. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's also something that needs to be focused on is, is addressing these kind of situations and seeing what can be done uh, to reduce the, 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 the scourge, the, the, yeah, the, the harm. 
Marku, just in 30 seconds, uh, in terms of uh, uh, moving forward, what are your final sentiments for this uh, conversation? Well, I think in terms of the, the managing refugee crisis, I think the fundamental is finding uh, political solutions of ongoing conflicts as well as preventing uh, new conflicts happening. I think that's the only way that we can see that the uh, numbers of the forcibly displaced people are, mm. are going down. Thank you so much to Marku Aikimus, who is joining us. Uh, he is the UNHCR's regional uh, representation for Southern Africa. Thank you to Roshan Dadu, who is the director for the Consortium for Refugees and Migrants in South Africa. Uh, thank you to James uh, Chapman, who is uh, joining us. He's the senior refugee attor- attorney at the Refugee Rights Clinic, uh, which is part of the University of uh, Cape Town. And also, I think we lost uh, Jasmine uh, there, but he's been with us uh, during our program. Jasmine Oberman is African. Director for the Terrorism Research and Analysis Consortium. Thank you all for giving us your time and giving us uh, uh, the context of the refugee crisis internationally. Well, thank you for joining us right here on African Dialogue. That's how we wrap it up. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow, same place, same time, right here on Channel Africa. The African Perspective will be here from 11 o'clock to midday Central African time. Remember, interact with us via our email. And also, we've got our Twitter handles and also our uh, SMSs. We want to hear from you. Well, we're going to end the program with some music. This is Love Your Neighbor by Ellen. Until tomorrow, God bless. Hey!